Hello, and welcome to the Trauma and Mental Health Reports podcast series. We aim to share stories and knowledge on topics related to trauma and mental health with the community. My name is Alyssa, and I'd like to welcome our guest for today's podcast, Megan Young. Megan has worked with a variety of Indigenous community engagement and social services. Megan currently serves as the Executive Director of the Ontario Aboriginal HIV AIDS Strategy, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide culturally respectful and sensitive programs and strategies in response to the growing HIV AIDS epidemic among Indigenous people in Ontario. Today, Megan and I will be discussing colonization in the context of how it has affected all Canadians, not just Indigenous people, and in turn, how Canadians can use this awareness to reconcile their relationship with Indigenous communities. Thank you for being here today, Megan. Oh, it's good to be here with you. Thank you so much. So my first question for you is, colonization is often framed as an issue that has occurred a long, long time ago. So what is colonization and how and where can it be seen still happening today? Oh, my gosh, for that question. Um, so I want to just start by first um, introducing myself um, in my language, Nishnabimowin. Bojo Ginawea, Wabishka Miguanabi Kwein and Nishnakas, Meskwadisi Nidodem, Gichawikwedang and Donjiba, Anishnabe Kwe, Minwa Wasakadoi Kwe and Dao, Aurelia and Da. So, what I said in my language, Anishnabe Moen, is hello, everyone. My Anishnabe name is White Feather Standing Woman. I'm from the Painted Turtle Clan. I grew up in Owen Sound. Um, I'm from the familial uh, lines of Anishinaabe and uh, Métis familial lines. Um, I also do want to acknowledge um, uh, my mother's uh, familial lines as well, um, which are mostly uh, a white settler Canadian um, familial lines. Um, and I currently live in Aurelia. Um, the reason why I wanted to um, introduce myself in this way um, is because it's Anishinaabek uh, customary um, greeting. And part of it is, it's important for, for me to share uh, part of myself with you and all the people listening. So my Anishinaabe name um, tells people about some of those gifts and strengths that I carry. My clan talks about um, those responsibilities I have to my community. Where I'm from tells you about the um, relationships that I carry and connection to land that I have. Um, and um, that I'm currently living um, in a really, I think is important as well because it shows that um, through, throughout the course of my life, I've, uh, I've migrated uh, across the Anishinaabe King Anishinaabe territory. Um, and so I think it's important to share this because it allows us to start to uh, build a relationship and a point of connection. And when we look at the impacts of colonization, colonization um, is machinery that's been designed to foster disconnection, shame, um, disrupt relationships, um, and it cause a lot of harm. And so at different points in time throughout Canadian history, even being able to speak my language and introduce myself in this way was outlawed. Um, and I could be physically uh, punished for that at different points throughout Canadian history. So I think it's really important um, to to introduce myself in that way um, 
because it helps set the stage and, and context uh, for what colonization is and um, how we continue to be impacted by it. Um, and it also, um, it's, I think it's really important for us as Indigenous peoples to actively reclaim the uses of our language, um, which were uh, banned and made illegal. Um, so uh, I, I just wanted to start by introducing myself in that way. Thank you for sharing that with us, Megan. It's important for us to know who you are, so I really appreciate that. In Canada, many assume that Indigenous people are the only ones that have been affected by colonization, when the reality is that we have all been touched by colonization. And I think that maybe people are becoming more aware of this as they are having emotional reactions that they might never have had before, especially in response to the recent news. So can you explain how other Canadians, including recent immigrants, have been affected by colonization? Uh, sure, thank you for that uh, question. Um, so I think um, one of the places where it's really important to start is looking at um, what Canada is. So Canada is a colonial nation state. Um, it became a country because um, people were from Europe were brought here to settle and create colonies um, and um, basically uh, secure access to, uh, to the lands and resources. So when you look at the different European nations at that time, England, France, um, Holland, um, they were really dependent on extracting uh, wealth and resources from other uh, nations um, and territories that existed to help with the profit and capitalization of their own um, nations. So when we talk about colonization, that's a part of it is recognizing that history that um, Canada exists as a country today because of that uh, colonization uh, process. So when you ask about, you know, settler Canadians um, or uh, more recent immigrants or uh, refugees that are uh, living in Canada, um, one of the ways that they are connected to colonization um, and benefit from it is uh, through Canada as a colonial nation state. Um, when you look at today where Canada generates most of its uh, wealth from, it's continuing to generate that wealth from extracting uh, natural resources and exporting those, whether it's oil, whether it's lumber, whether it's um, different other minerals. Um, but really Canada, it continues to be, be dependent on those uh, natural resource uh, development and extraction. Um, and so when we look at the ways um, that, uh, that, that people have been touched by colonization, I think that that's a, an important part of the untold story is that um, many folks uh, are, have not been required to look at how their experiences, their narratives are connected to and embedded in that uh, larger uh, colonial narrative. Um, when you look at the ways that we generate wealth for healthcare, or when you look at the ways that we uh, generate wealth for different kinds of infrastructure, um, it's, it's directly from those uh, treaties that were signed and clearing the land of indigenous peoples, uh, re uh, relocating Indigenous peoples to smaller 
um, less desirable pieces of land. And when you look at the policies that are in place today, we, we still continue to see that happen. You know, in my mind, it's no question that um, in many communities, particularly in the context of Northern Ontario, communities are kept in such conditions as to, um, I think in many ways, encourage people to move elsewhere. And so I still think there continues to be that clearing, that intentional clearing of the lands. And when you look at, um, you know, our current uh, premier has said, um, that he'll drive the bulldozer, bulldozer himself to, to clear and, and uh, make roads um, inwards in, in Northern Ontario um, so that we can get access to the Ring of Fire mineral deposits and continue to uh, develop Northern Ontario, right? So I think it's important for us to recognize that the plans to extract those resources and the plans for um, the province of Ontario and um, the nation of Canada to profit from that development um, is because of that colonial relationship. And when you look at the surrounding communities, um, it's only been in, in more recent times that people have legally been allowed to organize and uh, coordinate our opposition. First Nations have been allowed to organize and coordinate our opposition to some of these ongoing colonial projects. When you look at the history in Canada, many First Nations specifically, um, as they fall under the Indian Act, did not have the right to vote until 1960. And so when you think about my parents were alive at that time, um, and you know, my dad was able to grow up in a time where he had a right to vote, but my grandmother was alive in a time, you know, where she, she was not able uh, to vote in those uh, federal elections because she was not considered uh, uh, a person able to do so under the Indian Act. Um, so I think it's really important to, to think about um, those pieces and put them in context. And and um, many First Nations were not able to access uh, lawyers to fight some of these race-based unjust uh, laws that were in existence during our lifetime. Like many people are alive today that, um, that have lived through that. And so now that we are able to organize and, and coordinate and um, access legal defenses and things like that, you're seeing a lot more um, legal opposition to uh, different colonial projects. You're seeing um, it, there was a, a, a motion put forward in Parliament where um, all of the MPs were calling on uh, the Liberal government, Justin Trudeau, and the, the two Indigenous um, uh, bodies to drop lawsuits that are against, that are currently in courts fighting against uh, First Nations and First Nations children. Um, so I think it's, in all of those examples, we can very clearly see that this is not historical um, in, by any means, that it still affects living and breathing people today. Um, and that um, all people living in Canada, whether they're settlers or new immigrants or, or refugees, um, are benefiting from the colonial projects that have come before and continue to exist today. Um, and I think too, part of the conversation also needs to be around um, that acknowledgement of how um, these pieces uh, 
intertwine and, and connect with people's personal stories as well. When we uh, look at uh, you know what's happening in other parts of the world and how Canada has been an active agent um, and some of the other nations' um, um, dynamics or colonial projects, um, I think it's important to, to recognize that. And um, some of the actions that Canada has taken on a global scale has also led to um, people needing to flee um, situations of violence or, or different regimes globally and, and come to Canada. So I think we need to perhaps do some more self-reflection around these pieces and see the parallels and also see the differences and also understand how um, Canadians can, can better situate themselves in the, in the current context and that, that um, there, there needs to be acknowledgement of how they do benefit from, from Canada as a nation state. Absolutely, thank you for that explanation. And I think that that, uh, that self-reflection piece is really important. So that being said, what can Canadians do to better reflect on their own relationship with colonization? I think for me, um, when, I, when I think about this question, a big part of it is understanding who I am as an individual and the families that I come from and um, those connections I had. I, I introduced myself as being part of the Painted Turtle Clan. So understanding my responsibilities uh, to my uh, fellow uh, clan members as well as what that means in a in a broader context. So I think it's helpful for Canadians to do some of their own work in recognizing who they are, where they're from, um, what, what their, their purpose is here, like in life, I mean, um, what, their, what their journey here is in life um, and really where they wanna go. And sometimes I think they rush to answer that question so quickly, like where they wanna go and that's to be absolved of any guilt or shame that they experience. Um, I was on a call with uh, some of my uh, OHAS team members earlier today, and that was one of the things that uh, one of our team members brought forward was just really struggling um, with the, the more recent, um, since the announcement of the 215 children that were found, and Canadians not knowing what to do uh, with the guilt and shame that, um, that that realization has brought up for them. Um, people have been coming up to her and asking, you know, can, can they give her hugs? Can they, oh, how sorry they are. And, you know, I think there needs to be that reflection and acknowledging at this time, many Indigenous people, we are actively grieving. This experience has opened many old wounds um, for people. There's been a number of times throughout recent history, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and um, the calls across the country for survivors to come forward and tell their truth and tell their story and how all, it, there's a five volume report that was published through all of that work. Um, and I wonder how many um, Canadians have read it how many have really taken time to engage? Because if they did, they would not be surprised that 215 children were found. And so I think, you know, rather than needing to uh, come to Indigenous people and ask for, um, to be absolved 
or um, to be forgiven or, you know, to say how sorry they are, they need to look at, you know, what are the things that they can do? And is it, is it their place to really put that on uh, Indigenous peoples, Indigenous communities right now? I don't think it's, it's the time and it's certainly not um, our responsibility to, to absolve them of these pieces when we know that there actually hasn't been tangible change that happens. I think if people want to uh, do things, some of the things they can reflect on is like, how are they being a good relative? How are they um, building connection, building relationship with, uh, with the original peoples of this territory? How are they um, showing up? Who what, Have they contacted their uh, MPPs, their MPs? Have they advocated, you know, that, um, that policy and tangible change has made? Have they said, you know, we are not going to stand for there not being access to clean potable uh, water in First Nations communities. This needs to be addressed today. Um, have they done these things? Have they, um, you know, funded a number of the Indigenous organizations, made donations to the Indigenous organizations. There's a there's a hotline that's available right now for uh, residential school survivors as they they've needed to have access to those supports. You know, we're in the middle of the pandemic. It's difficult for us to gather in community and support one another in that way. And so, have they made uh, donations to to continue to support? people that's what they can do as part of their reflection and I think as a way to actively take steps towards um, hopefully uh, reflecting and um, working through some of the, the guilt and emotions that might be coming up for them and um, just really being mindful that um, it's not helpful to put that on Indigenous people at this time as we're already holding so much and um, a number of our folks are, are focused on surviving right now because this is so painful. Um, so maybe they can take some responsibility and, and work on, on what their own challenges are um, in terms of uh, their relationship with colonization and then um, take some concrete actions. And there's a number of um, uh, articles out there that outline, you know, seven steps for non-Indigenous Canadians to show up and be helpful, right? So I think if they take the time to even Google that, there's going to be a whole host of uh, uh, actions that can be taken um, that that would be that would be helpful. Yes, absolutely. I think it's important for all Canadians to be respectfully involved in reconciling and improving our relationship with Indigenous communities without putting that burden on the communities themselves to tell us what to do. I think that's a big problem that has been present. And it sounds like self-awareness definitely plays a role in being able to do this respectfully. So thank you for that list of recommendations. I really appreciate it. And is there anything else that you would like to add about how Canadians can be involved in reconciling their relationship with Indigenous communities? Again, without putting that burden on the communities themselves. 
Thanks for, for that question. I think one of the biggest things is you'll hear in our communities as well, um, there's sometimes a reluctance to engage in research and that's because there has been so, um, so many different research initiatives, projects that have happened in our, in our communities. So I think um, if I can really encourage and one of the takeaways that I have from that is the information is out there. You know, that's, that's another one of the ways and, um, you know, something for um, educational institutions to consider as well. That's another one of the ways that we, we continue to feel colonization is that even in research practices, sometimes um, researchers might think that they have a great research question and a great idea, but haven't taken the time to really build that relationship. And so, the historical practice has been to come in and extract whatever information, knowledge, um, even physical like um, uh, like blood um, samples and things like that. The, the physical um, essence of who we are as human beings extract some of those pieces from our communities, use that in their own research purposes have no benefit come back to community, um, and yet then they're able to publish and profit off of this, whether it's through, you know, continuing to gain academic tenure or additional research grants or all of these things. There have been considerable shifts that have been made, even the Tri-Council uh, policy on research has, you know, there's a whole section on doing research with Indigenous people, and there, and I am happy to see things moving in that direction, but I think, you know, when people say, oh, I didn't know, the information is out there. Like I said, there's a five-volume report from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that happened um, with information that's out there, stories that are out there. There's 94 calls to action um, that are out there that you can uh, push uh, your your um, government representatives, both at the provincial and um, federal level, even at the municipal level to really implement. Um, you have a voice. It's important that you use it. It's important that you acknowledge the responsibility that comes with being a Canadian. I think sometimes globally we're projected as um, people that are, are kind and, uh, and are apologetic, well, well, now is not the time for stories, it's the time for action. And so how are, are you using your voice? How are you um, stepping into that responsibility that you have as a citizen of this country? Um, how are you um, building relationships with, with your neighbors, with indigenous people? How are you reflecting and acknowledging that um, uh, you directly have impacted, um, have benefited, sorry, benefited from colonization. Um, and I think if people are really taking all of those steps um, and taking the time to educate themselves and get informed, um, there's lots of YouTube videos if you, for people that don't like reading, you know, like there's information that's out there. There's organizations that have committed to making sure that information is, is more easily accessible. Um, so I think if people can really take the time to look at what they can do and, and take, pick up that responsibility, um, then we'll be in a much better place as we continue to uh, move forward and it will actually become a conversation around uh, uh, actual 
perhaps reconciliation as opposed to uh, we're still very much in the truth telling phase because um, as, as you know, and I've said many times in this conversation, people should not be shocked by the truth that 215 children were found. Indigenous people have been saying that they know, knew about this, that they've been aware about this. Survivors have shared their stories, so it shouldn't come as a surprise. And we're not in a time of reconciliation. We are um, still very much in a time of truth telling because that full truth has not really been acknowledged and felt um, by Canadians yet. Yes, you said um, now is not the time for stories, it's the time for action. And I think that piece is super important for non-Indigenous communities to be aware of. I think there's a lot of information out there and there is a lot to learn, but it is up to us. It is up to non-Indigenous Canadians to do the work if we want to reconcile and improve our relationship with the Indigenous communities that have been harmed. So I thank you for that explanation. I really appreciate it, Megan. Oh, thank you so much, Alyssa, for reaching out and um, taking the time to, uh, to cover this, uh, um, this important conversation in the work that you do. Um, I think, I think if, if Indigenous people really see uh, Canadians taking that action, um, it will also help shift the relationship dynamics that can exist, um, that are, exist in many spaces, and um, will also help to improve um, the, the well-being of Indigenous people. I think if we can see that, you know, Canadians are serious about acknowledging and taking responsibility and creating change, um, rather than burying it, literally burying it, and um, shying away from it or, or not being able to acknowledge the, the guilt and shame that comes up, I think if they're able to, um, move through that, then I think it will help the relationship as a whole. And, and I do want to say that in my experiences, so many Indigenous people are so generous um, with their time and with their care. And no one that I've come across um, um, wishes any, any harm or, or malintent or anything like that towards Canadians, but rather have been so so generous even when it's hard for them you know um have not been cruel towards canadians that are coming and, and asking for forgiveness or asking for hugs but i think that that's part of um of the responsibility i think that that's why it's so important that people like you are really um um holding other non-indigenous people uh from canada like uh accountable for those things. I think it's so important to highlight uh, voices like yourself um, who are saying, you know, we need to do better. Um, here's how we can do better. You know, we've heard it directly from Indigenous folks um, we're, and we know that we can change things. And so, you know, like, let's, let's do better. I think that that's so important and so important um, to model um, that expected behavior change. So I really do appreciate the work that you're doing and and really um, want to give thanks and gratitude for 
all the Indigenous people um, who have been so kind and generous with their time and just let them know as well, you know, it's okay if you need to have space to grieve. You know, I think that's something that we can um, insist that we need because um, this has been so impactful. So don't, to my Indigenous brothers and sisters, don't feel bad about taking up that space you need to, to grieve and process what's happening. Um, we're really in a, in a nation of uh, reckoning right now. Um, so do what you need to do to take care of yourselves. You've reached the end of this episode with the Trauma and Mental Health Report podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you are interested in learning more about the Ontario Aboriginal HIV AIDS strategy, you can head over to www.oahas.org. I also encourage you to check out some of the resources that Megan shared with us on this podcast. You can connect with us at trauma.blog.yorku.ca. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter to see our latest content, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.